Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm somewhat surprised to find myself here. We've just been down in the south of England for a few days following a family bereavement, and we got back late on Friday night, and yesterday had a full diary. And then uh, in the evening, I happened to be talking to Karis, and we were discussing what we might do for Father's Day, and we were sort of saying, will there be time to have some lunch before we have to... uh, meet some commitments we've got this afternoon. And uh, Carrie said, well, it really depends how long the preacher goes on for tomorrow. Ha, 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 ha. So I, I said to her, why? What are you speaking on then? <laughs> and she said, Mom, you're preaching tomorrow, <laughs> which has somehow escaped my notice or my thoughts with all that had been happening to us in the week. So... I'm confident God is going to help us this morning. He's going to help me, and he's going to help us. And we're going to receive something this morning to help us all. Now, let me start by asking you something. Have you ever bought something and struggled to understand the instructions? How to make it work, you know? shake it, turn it upside down, rattle it. Or maybe you're one of those people who never even reads the instructions. Let's have a little poll. Do you, hands up if you read the instructions. Mm, This is interesting. Hands up if you tend to just push all the buttons and hope for the best. (laughs) I'm looking to see if this is split across households and marriages and so on. No, well, I'm a bit of a push the buttons. We bought one of those um, wonderful, it's the, most, the best thing I bought all year in a sale, one of those stick hoover things, you know, that Dyson do that have a battery. Oh, my gosh, it gets a lot of use in our house. But uh, I didn't read the instructions before. It looked pretty obvious to press the button hoover, you know. And so when it started making funny noises, we were searching for the guarantee, which, of course, we always fail to activate like you're supposed to. And we were kind of thinking, how are we going to send this back? Because we bought it online. And, and then I did stop and read the instructions. And the, the funny noises were just indicative of the fact that there was some blockage in the pipe. And that was to warn us. And it was fine now. But I am not a reader of instructions very often. And uh, maybe we'll have a look at some slides that I got. Have a look at these, if the guys at the back can help me. Do you have any slides for us to look at? Just as some instructions that perhaps are a bit... No? No, that's my heading. Okay. Well, here's my heading today. But listen, uh, I had some slides that I would love to show you. And maybe you can sort of join in on the game and send me any of your pictures of things that where the instructions have been decidedly helpful or unhelpful. One of them was a washing label, actually, and it, was in a, it, it said age four to six on this label, made in China, and it gave you the washing instructions, and then it said, remove the child before putting in the machine. <laughs> it did, it really said that. <laughs> and, and one was one that I took uh, when we were in Brazil a few years ago in this very high... Uh, hotel that had uh, many, many floors on it, and the notice outside the lift in Portuguese was translated into English, uh, please make sure the lift is on this floor before you step in. <laughs> so there are some instructions out there that we would do well to read, perhaps. And um, Paul and Anna are sitting here today, I hope. Are they here or have they gone to the... Yeah, you're here. And they're wanting to do the best possible job 
for Ezra. No parent ever starts off in this journey of parenthood thinking, how can I mess this up? (laughs) How can I do the worst job possible? We don't think like that. We want to do the best things for our children. And a lot of people feel very unprepared for this great parenthood adventure. You know, uh, perhaps we have various things in life that we don't feel prepared for, like being married. I don't say getting married, I say being married. That's the challenge. Or uh, having your first child. We don't always feel as prepared as we would like to. And lots of people give you advice, and some of it is pretty uh, useless. And if I asked you around the room now and we had time, I could probably gather all the bits of useless advice you've had and the things you wished you had never bought, maybe, that uh, you would have not done so had you thought again. Well, fortunately, the Bible is not a book of bad instructions. In fact, it's a really great manual. It's a really good roadmap for how to live your life, whether uh, you're a parent or not a parent, whether it's your first child or your 21st child. There is a lady in Britain currently pregnant with her 21st child, which uh, I find very amazing, Um, (laughs) and a few other things as well. But, uh, you know, good for her, I think. Uh, She's married, they're raising their children, and uh, that's great. But the Bible has plenty to say to help us. And so my title today is Instructions for Parents. Now, please do not switch off if you are not a parent. Um, I think there'll be plenty here to speak to you as well, and plenty in what I say that you can apply to your life, whether you are a parent or not. And as well, we are a church family. So whether you have your own children or you don't, we are a church family. And uh, all the families in our church love to involve other people as part of their family and to include other people. I just, I was thinking of you, Jill, actually, when I was preparing this. Jill's sitting over there, married to John. They have a lovely little girl called Ariana. But Jill, for many years, had in her heart that she would love to be married and have a child of her own. And Mr. Wright didn't appear at the time. (laughs) And uh, she didn't just sit at home moping about that. She became a wonderful auntie to many children in our church. She babysat, she encouraged our children, she remembered their birthdays, she took them out on Saturdays, and she really was a blessing to very many of us, and I hope that it blessed her too. And I'll just give you a little cheer, Jill. And now she does have her own uh, daughter, and that's great, and she's met Mr. Wright, and that's wonderful. But whether you are a parent or not, Please listen in this morning. I'd like to read a passage from the Bible to you, and it's from Deuteronomy, and it's chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, and then uh, a bit from verse 11 and 12, and I'm reading from the New International Version. It's coming up on the screen for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them 
as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to receive from you, touch our hearts, change our lives, give us an understanding of your heart toward us as part of your family. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage here is actually Moses speaking to the children of Israel. It's from the Old Testament, but it's a very famous passage in the Bible about families and about children. So let's take a look at it. It says in verse 5, Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, if you were hoping this morning for six sort of nice alliterated points as to how to make your children more obedient in your home, you're not going to get that because in actual fact, it has to start with our response to God. Being a successful parent starts with your response to God. And God, it tells us in this verse, is looking for our love. That's the first thing that's mentioned, love God. He doesn't ask, first of all, for our obedience. He doesn't ask for our time, first off. He doesn't ask for our money. He wants our love. And we give him the other things because we love him. Jesus calls this the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. He quotes it in Matthew 22, verse 37. And then the verse tells us about how to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We're to put him first and passionately follow him with everything in us. This isn't a going to church just on Sundays belief or faith. Coming to church on Sundays is a culmination of everything that God's been doing with us in the week. It's about pursuing God every day in every way that you can. So God is looking for our love. He wants us to love him with all our hearts, our souls, and our strength. And that is the first and most important thing that you can do, Paul and Anna, as parents of baby Ezra, and as, that we can do as parents as well. Verse 6 goes on to say, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And this tells us that God's instructions, his word, is to be on our hearts, not just in our heads. It's not just about an academic knowledge. It's got to be in our hearts. It's about attitude. If you want your children to love God, you can't just go through the motions yourself. to be a heart response to God. If something is truly on our hearts, we don't forget about it. If something's really on your heart, it's kind of there all the while. We don't just forget about it and go off and come back to it occasionally. It's on our hearts. And if we as parents don't wholeheartedly love and follow God, we can't expect our children to love and follow him. Who knows? Children are the best mimics and copycats anywhere in the whole world. (laughs) 
They'll copy what they see you doing, and they will repeat what they hear you saying. I, when we were down in the south of England this week, we also took the opportunity. I have an aunt who's 97 now, and uh, she's in a nursing home, but she's sharp as. She's uh, really bright, and she, I love to see her because she always tells me stories about my childhood that I don't know myself. And uh, she was telling me about my grandfather, who was actually uh, a country rector in the church, and uh, he passed away when I was just about 15 months, so I never really remember him. It's a bit unfair that babies don't remember things, isn't it, I always think, but I don't remember him at all. But she was telling me the story of how she was driving him in the car one day, and he was sitting next to her in the front seat, and I was on his knee, so that tells you how long ago it was, no seat belts, <laughs> just on his knee, and uh, they were talking about the family, and he turned and looked at her and he said, isn't it a good job this child, i.e. me, can't talk yet? <laughs> Obviously, what they were saying was going to go back to where he didn't want it to. But children repeat what they hear you saying. Why do you think so many children on our playgrounds use bad language at a young age? Children are very good as well at smelling a phony. You know what I mean by that? Someone who's just kind of going through emotions. If you say one thing and you do another, they will rumble you. <laughs> they have a nose for it. In fact, as many of you have probably heard me say already, there's a lot of research that shows that one of the main reasons why many, many children in America, particularly the, which is where the research was carried out, are leaving church and not following the faith of their parents is because they see inconsistencies between what their parents say they believe and how they then behave. So if you want to bring up your kids to know and love God, it starts with you and your heart. I've already said it doesn't start with your intellect, it doesn't start with, start with your words, it doesn't even start with your actions, it doesn't start with the rules you make in your household, it starts with your heart. How much do you love God? How much is his word in your heart is God's word a daily part of your life as a parent. And whenever I stand up in church and I say something like that, is God's word a daily part of your life as a parent, I kind of know that probably some of you are going to be feeling a little bit guilty when I say things like that or a little bit kind of, mm, I, I would like it to be more so. And it's kind of a given, I have found, that many, many Christians who love God still struggle to get into the Bible as much as they feel they need to. I'm not going to ask. I won't put you on the spot. But listen, there is an enemy out there who delights in distracting you in every way possible from reading and absorbing into your heart the Word of God. Our pastor used to say to us when we were young, you know, he was very honest, and he'd say, you know, I sit down to read my Bible, and I notice the picture is crooked on the wall. And then I notice the plant is very dry and needs watering. And then I notice this, and then I notice that. And, and maybe there's other things for you. Maybe it's this wonderful device that I love because it has about 20 different versions of the Bible on it, and it's a great blessing to me. But who knows, it can be a great distraction as well. And it can steal precious input into your life, and you're the one that misses out if that happens. And I, okay, I'm going to challenge you. I challenge anyone to really be too busy, too busy to read the Bible every day. 
I don't think there's anyone here who could claim an exception for themselves that they are the only person in the world who is too busy to just read a little bit of the Bible every day and let it touch your life. It's about what we choose to do with our time. And God says, get my words into your heart. Get my words into your heart. Verse 7 says, impress them upon your children. What does this look like? Well, to impress something onto someone, it can mean to teach. It can mean to sharpen. So how do you impress the word of God onto your children? How do you teach them? How do you sharpen your children in the things of God? Well, it probably doesn't mean that you have to get your kids up at six o'clock in the morning and make them kneel down in the living room while you read sort of Exodus to them for half an hour, you know? (laughs) That would be a pretty good way, I would suggest, to lose their hearts (laughs) rather than win them uh, in any way. But it does imply an intentional, deliberate communication and impartation of God's words and his ways to your children. And it's not a one-off thing. Children work when you have constant repetition. You know, you don't say to your children one day, right, this is how to use your knife and fork properly, and then just never say anything to them ever again. You have to constantly be reminding them and showing them and helping them. And it's the same with the Word of God. It's something that we uh, need to be thinking about with our children, not just as a one-off. It's a constant thing. How can we do this then? Well, I've got some things here that uh, I know helped me, so I'm going to share them with you, and you could probably come and add some things to the list as well. Uh, These are sort of like bullet points, if you like, bits of advice. Pretend we're sitting in the living room, and I'm on my sofa, and I'm giving you some advice. And here it goes. Well, getting the Word of God into our children. Read them Bible stories right from when they're very young. It's a funny thing, but most children under five cannot read. You know, they just don't come that way. And so when they're under five, if you don't read to them, how are they going to hear the word of God if you don't read it to them in stories and things that are appropriate to them? So have that as part of your family life. Make sure your children see you reading your Bible. So that becomes a part of their life. Talk about what you're reading Talk about what the Bible says when you're problem-solving or facing difficult situations in your lives and family. Talk about what uh, insight and wisdom the Bible might have for you. Let them see that you go to the Bible for guidance on how to live your life and uh, honor God as a family. And if you don't know where to start, get an app, like something like Bible Gateway. Download that on your phone, and you can put a word in, and you'll get all the Bible references surrounding that word, and you can look them up and find out yourself. If you don't know the answer, find out together, uh, or find someone that can help you. But make it something that your children see you doing, living your life with reference to what God says in the Bible. And as soon as they can read, get them onto a proper Bible get them some daily notes that they'll be able to follow. Um, A lot of people kind of miss that little step there, and I think it's quite important. Go and choose a really nice Bible with them. Um, Go to the Christian bookshop together and choose something that would be special to them and let them get into... Before it closes. Before it closes. It's closing. 
Go onto Amazon and choose a really... That's because we don't go there enough, because we all go on Amazon all the jolly time. We should all go this week and buy a book in person. But uh, however you do it, make it special. Choose them a Bible that they will like to hold and read and get them some pens that they can mark in it. You know, when I was um, first a Christian and I had my first Bible, I was actually in my teens at the time. That is a hard time to start a child reading the Bible regularly if you haven't done it as a habit in your family life. And um, blessedly, God broke into my life in an amazing way and I began to want to read the Bible. But I had a bit of a dislike of ever marking my Bible. I, I, I like books, and I don't like writing in them and marking them, because I might want to read them again or lend it or something, and amen. And so I never wrote in my Bible. And this year, I kind of got to January, and I thought, this is really silly, because actually, we're so blessed. A Bible is not expensive in our culture, really. It is not. And so if I get a Bible in January 2018, and I write all over it, and I underline things, and that makes me remember things and helps me to focus on it, I can just go and get another one in January 2019 and start all over again. And that's okay, and that's what I'm doing. So encourage your children to write in their Bible, and get, if they've colored it all in, get them another one. <laughs> you know? Um, whatever will help them to really connect with this book as something precious and important in their lives. But don't wait until sort of they're in their teens. When they can read, get them a proper Bible. Don't get stuck reading children's stories to them forever. I mean, I love stories even now, but you, you know, don't just read children's stories or just pray those sort of baby bedtime prayers with them that you can pray as a parent. Pray real prayers that are going to get real answers. And let your children see that God answers prayers. Don't just get stuck saying a quick grace before your meal and a thank you to God for your food and think that that's tick we've prayed together as a family. So pray some real prayers and read some real Bible and uh, let them see real answers. I'm not talking about burdening your children with like adult concerns and worries that they don't need to know in your family, but they can share in some decisions that you're making and some things that you're facing. Encourage them to invest that regular time reading the Bible for themselves. We, I, I'm not going to do a poll to ask if any of you struggle to read your Bible regularly, who would feel that you would like to be reading your Bible regularly. But if we don't make habits of these things, it get, it's harder as we go on in life. So help your children to lay down habits. I was talking to Karis recently. Um, Leo's about, uh, not, he, not about, he is nine now, and, and he has a Bible that he reads. And, and Ben and Karis say to him, well, if you wake up early in the morning and you want to read, read your Bible first, and then you can read a book that you love. And you might think, well, that's sort of perhaps, you know, sort of almost making him read his Bible, but he really likes to read it. And that's a way of getting a great habit into his life. And he has probably read more of the Bible this year than I have, to my shame, I think, is the truth. <laughs> He's powering through it and really uh, enjoying doing that. So encourage your children to make good habits even when they're young. You can guide them on what they need, you know, on what to read if they need help. And you can talk about what they're reading with them. We've watched um, Pastor Cesar Castellanos in the, the church in Colombia and Miami bringing up his children because one of our sons is uh, married to... One of our sons, I only have one. He is married to um, 
Pastor Caesar's daughter, and she has a little brother called Matthias, and we've watched him right from when the family adopted him and, until now, and he must be, I think he's about 10, 11 now, something like that. And uh, when we go to stay, you'll often find him in the morning somewhere in the house, and he's got his Bible open, and he's got his pen, and he's got a notebook, and he's writing. So when we were in Columbia in January, I said, Matthias, you know, t- tell me how that works for you, what you do, and when you started doing that. And he started, as soon as he could read, when he was around about seven, he got a notebook and he got his Bible. And what he does, he writes down the reference that he's reading at the top of his one page in his notebook, and then he reads it, and then he writes down some things that he feels are speaking to him to help him in his life that day. And then at the end of the week, he picks one of the verses that he's read that week and memorizes it and commits it to memory and learns it. And... uh, you know, I thought, well, good for you. That is a great habit. And no one has to tell him to do that now. That's the habit that he has in his life. And uh, I remember our children, uh, the school they were at in Oxfordshire at the time, used to have a memory verse every week. And it would always be, ah, we've got to learn the memory verse to be you know, ready for tomorrow. We've had all week and we're suddenly learning it on Thursday night. But I'm pretty certain that they could tell you things now that they learned. Don't don't say, don't say anything, but I think there are things that they learned during that period in their life that they still would be able to say, and I know Richard has said that to me. So help your children, make it fun. You know, have a prize or something to help them remember Scripture and the Word of God. Let me say something about when we are together in our church services. Help your children to engage in our church services and enjoy the worship. And of course, very young children are going to dip in and out. They, they're not going to stay focused for all of the time that we're together. But encourage them to increasingly dip in. And one way to do that is to make sure you have worship music available in your house so they get to learn the songs. Because if they don't, can't read the songs and they don't know them, it's hard for them to join in. When uh, I can see Ros's mum here, Rosie, sitting down there, and we were in a church together in Oxfordshire, in years gone by, and we used to meet in the, the civic center of our town. And uh, there was a lovely little girl in the church who used to sing really passionately, she was about three, bring, sing really passionately the song that we were singing at the time, which was, some of you may remember it, The Cross Has Said It All. Do you remember that song? The Cross Has Said It All. And she was really passionately going for it. And then when I got a bit nearer, she was actually singing, Across the Civic Hall. <laughs> but she was joining in. Teach them the songs. I love to see our kids uh, dancing and, and playing instruments and so on. Please note, if you're a parent, that running around the building wildly is not quite the same as dancing, okay? <laughs> there is a difference, and we can help our children to understand how to be considerate of other people when we're together and respectful of God's presence with us as we worship. And if they do dip out... Bring them something appropriate to do in that time. Don't let them distract lots of other children and start a sort of little gang meeting over in the corner. Bring something they can do. It sounds a bit lame, doesn't it? A Bible story or some coloring in this technical age. But our worship is only half an hour, 45 minutes. And if we can't teach our kids to sit uh, and be part of something for that long, then your child's teachers are probably not going to thank you either because... We can help them to do that and to get as involved as they're able to be. Verse 7 goes on. 
Talk about them. This is God's words. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, if you want your children to know and follow God, his words have got to be right at the center of your life and conversations. I think those actions cover most of life. (laughs) When you get up, when you go to bed, when you go out, when you come in, there's not much else left outside of that. Let's pick there. When you sit down, a practical expression of that is when you eat meals together in your home and talking around the table. Talk as you eat together. I was dreadful. I used to like to read while I was eating when I was a child. And my parents were always having to take a book off me because I wanted to read. But we tried to make it a practice in our family that we talked when we had a meal together. Ask your kids questions. Find out about their lives. What's going on with them? Don't just jump in to correct them or bring them solutions. Ask them why they think that or why they did that. Ask them what they think the Bible says about it. And if they don't know, look it up together. Now, if you don't have a table, at least turn off the television when you're eating together so that you can talk. That's what I'm really after, encouraging that atmosphere in a home where we are families together when we eat as far as possible. It also says when you're walking together. I guess that might be when you're in the car these days. (laughs) We don't do much walking places with our kids, maybe. Tell your children your own stories of faith. Tell them things that God has done for you in your past. Remind them of things that God has done in your family when they were small. They don't automatically know those stories of how you met each other and how God really helped you uh, financially get, get your house or whatever it might be. They don't know those great stories. You need to tell them. And the Bible is always... Uh, when. You can see time and again, the Israelites are encouraged to tell their children stories of their faith and things that happened in the past in their faith, not even in their own generation, but things that God did for them. And so tell your stories of faith to your children. Are you with me? Okay, verse 8 says this, tie them, the words of God, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, whatever is that about? Well, um, a few years ago, Clive and I were able to go to Israel. It was a wonderful experience, I, I, uh, one of the best things we've ever done. And we happened to be in Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall, as it's called, where people put their little prayers into the gaps in the wall. We were there on a Friday. And I don't know if you know, but in, in the Jewish faith, the men sit separately to the ladies in the church. And, and at the Wailing Wall, there's a big division, and the men are allowed on one side of the wall and the ladies on the other. So Clive went off to the men's side of the wall, and I'm at the ladies, and there's this sort of high um, fence between that you can't see through. But stood up against this fence were all these little plastic chairs, and there were all these ladies stood on the chairs looking at over the wall. So um, I sort of went and stood by them, and one of the ladies turned around, and she said, come on, come on, and she gave me her hand, and she pulled me up onto the chair, so I climbed up onto the chair next to this lovely Jewish mummy. And it's a celebration uh, called a bar mitzvah is happening. It's when a Jewish boy sort of becomes a Jewish man, if you like, and instead of just doing the children's uh, things, now he is in the world of the men. And her son, this was his special day when he was having his bar mitzvah, and she was so lovely. She just uh, explained it all to me and uh, shared, and they were eating food and sharing in the celebrations, and she told me what was happening. And I was very, very moved by it because I think that um, 
Jewish people are actually very, very good at passing on their faith down the generations to their children. They have very uh, far, far fewer um, prodigals than perhaps we see in the Christian church worldwide. And so I was interested to, to be there and sharing this with her. And as part of this celebration, they actually were tying these little phylacteries, they call them. It's where they put a little bit of the word of God in a little box, and they were tying them onto their arms and onto their heads as part of this ceremony that was taking place. And uh, Jesus actually speaks to the Pharisees in the Bible about this practice of these little phylacteries, these little boxes with the word of God that they took this passage very literally and put on their hands and foreheads. And he tells them, don't do that. But he, he doesn't tell them off for having the word of God near to them. He says, they were just making these boxes bigger and bigger and bigger to sort of show off. You can sort of imagine them way down, <laughs> kind of walking along the road. And he was saying, don't do that. Don't make a big show of it. Um, so do we have to do this? Tie things on our arms and our foreheads. This is how rumors get out, by the way. So <laughs> don't leave now because there will be a rumor go out that I've told everyone in the church they have to do this. And of course, I'm not saying that. I don't think we have to do that at all. But there is some significance in uh, what the Israelites were told back in the Old Testament. to Tie God's word to their hands and tie it to their heads. Hands, to me, speak of our actions, what we do. And our foreheads speak of what we think and what we know and understand. And so when I said earlier that our heart is the most important thing in getting children to grow up knowing God, it, our children have to see us living this Christian life and living it well as well. They have to see our hands and our heads doing the right thing. We, they need to see us living it out with our actions, and they need to see us developing a, a robust faith ourselves and investing uh, in studying the Bible so that we can explain it in a way that our children can understand and absorb. So don't go putting the boxes on your hands and your head, but think about how your hands and your thoughts and your actions and your intellect express God's word in your family. Finally, verse 12 says this. Oh, I've missed one thing out. Sorry. Sorry, I'm nearly finished, promise. Verse 9, write them on the door frames of your hand, houses and your gates, it says. Write God's word on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Well, if something is written on your door or your gate, other people can see it as well. That's the point of that verse to me. And the point is, our faith should be visible. It should be something that people can see. If you want your kids to follow Jesus for themselves, make sure you're living a visible faith. Don't tell your kids to talk to their friends about Jesus if you never talk to your friends about Jesus. Don't put them out there to carry the name of Jesus if you never have people in your home or in your lives that need to find the love of God. You know, I grew up in a home and we had exactly the right number of seats around the dining table for the family and no more, no less, and we didn't have a doorbell. Well, I had to change. I had to change. I had to change what I thought. That's just a secret message to all the people in our team that do not have doorbells. <laughs> Make sure your faith is visible. Make sure you're comfortable and confident to give an account of what and why you believe what you do. You know, if we stumble over sharing the gospel, how can we expect that our children will be any the different? Amen? Finally, verse 12 says this. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not 
forget the Lord. Oh, look, there's going to be a nice picture coming up, and I can see it, and you can't. Right, okay. It's easy to be people who cry out to God when we have problems. Did you know that? You're struggling to pay the bills, someone's unwell, the car's broken down, you've lost your job, you've suffered a bereavement, your child's being bullied. It's easy. These things push us onto our knees and push us into the Bible because we're desperate to get a promise from God. But what about when things are going well? What about when you've got food on your table, you've got your holiday book, life is good, the windows are clean, the cats had kittens... Actually, I'd probably put that one in the other category of things not going so well. <laughs> if I had a cat or it had kittens. But anyway, if things are going well, what are you going to do then? That's when you know what you really believe. Honestly, you think it would be the other way around, but it's not. It's not in the desperate times that we forget God and don't give him the right place in our lives. It's in the good times that we can forget him. So remember even in the good times, to do these things. Paul and Anna, if you want to be the best parents to this little boy, and you want to be, you all want to be the best parents in your families and in this church, don't forget the Lord. Put him first. Love him with all your hearts, with all your strength, with all your soul. Get his word into your hearts, Paul and Anna, Impress it on your children. I'm saying children because they'll probably have some more, but I'm really speaking to all of us. Teach the word to them. Talk about the Lord when you sit down, when you get up, when you go in, when you come back. Make it natural. Have his word at your fingertips and let it affect your thoughts and actions in every way. Make your faith visible. Amen? uh, I'm speaking to you, but I want that to be a word to all of us, to encourage us if we want to see our children love and follow this great God that we know and come to know him personally, I hope that there's some practical things there to help you. I've got a prayer I'd like us to read out in response, so would you like to stand up? We can all pray this, but you don't have to. If it's not appropriate to you, you can just read along, but if you want to say it out loud as a commitment to the Lord this morning, then we're going to do that together. And this is what it says. I think we'll just go straight for it now and read it out together if you're comfortable with that. Lord, I want to be a person that loves you with all my heart, soul, and strength. Today, I choose to give you your proper place in my life and heart. Please forgive me for when I've forgotten or neglected your word, the Bible. I'm sorry for when I haven't lived the right way. I decide now to invest time in reading your precious word and getting to know it better. May it truly be a light to my path and show me the way to live by revealing Jesus to me. And this is for parents. I ask for your power to enable me to be a godly parent to my children and bring them up according to your instructions. Today, things are going to change. Amen? And that is my encouragement to you. Make a change today. Do something that I've said that's spoken to your heart right today before you go to bed tonight. Amen? Amen. Great. Thank you.